Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but also to educate and teach you about days like today. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. How do you get your head around a day like today? Dow plunged another 800 points. S&P is down 2.93%. NASDAQ even worse, off 3.02%. Well, it's all about the bizarre action, or at least a symptom, perhaps, of the bond market. And you've got to remember that the bond market is a lot larger than the stock market. Even though unemployment is at its lowest level in 50 years, something disconcerting has happened with bonds. Earlier today, the benchmark 10-year Treasury had a lower yield than the two-year. That's a highly unusual setup. We haven't seen it since, yes, the eve of the Great Recession of 2007. And we have memories the yield in the 30-year Treasury has fallen to record lows. Again, that is piercing. And as bond yields fall off a cliff, they're taking the stock market with them. Why? It's all because of precedent. See, the bears will tell you that anytime we see Treasuries behaving like this, a recession surely follows. Long-term interest rates don't drop below short-term rates unless people are really worried about the future. So even if things seem fine in the economy now, there's a widespread fear that they won't stay that way and that things could get worse in the future. Now, I think that could be a misread of the current situation, but I can no longer dismiss these concerns given the pronounced moves in bonds that we saw Monday and today. As I've told you repeatedly, I do not believe we're headed into a recession anytime soon. But a lot of people clearly disagree with me, smart people, and history is on their side, not mine. So tonight I'm going to put on my doom and gloom investigation hat and offer some theories about what's driving this action because... What can I say? It's too extreme to dismiss. I'm not going to whistle past it. Keep in mind, I'm going to give you some pure conjecture. I don't know any more than anyone else who obsessively keeps track of publicly available information. But I do have my ear to the ground, so to speak, so I can tell you what I'm hearing. All day today, people were talking my ear off about an elephant in the room. And then they'd each mention a different elephant. Either we have an overabundance of pachyderms, or some of these doomsayers are blowing things out of proportion. Or both. Let's go through the negatives. First, there's a sense that our trade war with China is starting to tank global commerce. All the amateur history buffs in the stock market are convinced that we're going to revisit the Smoot-Holy tariff when we put up massive barriers to trade right as the Great Depression got rolling. Memories. These bears think the trade war will be devastating and the bear cohort has grown dramatically. If that happens, you want to put your money in safe haven like treasuries. And man, oh man, are they ever doing that? They're buying treasuries hand over fist. Of course, if this theory is true and we reach some kind of deal with China, everything that's been getting hammered will come roaring back. But that right now doesn't seem to be in the cards. 
Second, our short-term interest rates, the ones set by the Fed, are way too high. Last year, Fed Chief Jay Powell raised rates repeatedly without putting much thought into the impact that they might have. We know that from his thought list comments in October. They were very bad. This is why President Trump just tweeted that the Fed is clueless. Now, I think he was trying to help the stock market, uh, but it backfired because harassing the Fed chief just isn't at all that constructive, even if Trump was right and is right. Look, love him or hate him. I think he is actually right about monetary policy. See, the Fed could instantly cut rates, solving the inverted yield curve problem and giving the economy a nice boost. Oh, and while long-term rates are this low, it's the perfect time for the government to borrow a huge slug of money to fund some infrastructure spending. But that would require the White House and Congress to actually work together, which is pretty unlikely. Maybe you could slip it in, I don't know, in some sort of infrastructure bond. But suffice it to say that I think Trump is right, and the Fed has not done a great job. They took rates much too high. Third driver of the bizarre bond market, a huge percentage of government bonds in the rest of the world now have negative interest rates. When that happens, it's typically because these countries have very little economic growth. As I keep telling you, this situation causes massive amounts of foreign money to flow into U.S. Treasuries, where you're getting a much better return than you get from, say, German bonds. They have to buy dollars first. That's what's prompting up the dollar, making us less competitive. Point four, our bond market is signaling that a recession is right around the corner. And there's some parts of the economy that do reinforce that view. You could argue that aerospace, long one of the strongest sectors in America, is grinding to a halt because of the problems with Boeing's 737 MAX. Boeing's actually big enough that they can move the needle in terms of the GDP. This very evening, Cisco, the giant technology company, talked about seeing some cracks in the global economy. That's surprising. It will hurt all of tech tomorrow because Chuck Robbins, the CEO, is a cool and calm-headed man. But he did give low guidance. Meanwhile, Macy's just reported a horrific quarter this morning. It's a warning sign that some parts of the consumer uh, landscape could be in trouble. Now, of course, Macy's might not represent the way people shop anymore. These are full-price mall-based stores, for heaven's sake. But the quarter was definitely worrisome. I'm going to have to talk about some more of it, talk more about it later. Still, Boeing, Cisco, and Macy's all headed in the wrong direction. For me, since this is all new, I find this worrisome. Fifth, the Brexit deadline is rapidly approaching, and a hard Brexit, okay, let's call it what it is. Your eyes glaze over, but it could be a disaster. Go to Europe. This is what people talk about when I'm over there. Maybe it causes a freeze in European commerce, just as there's a dramatic decline in Chinese consumption, where they sell a lot of product. A specter is haunting Europe, the specter of a Brexit-induced depression. This is the Armageddon scenario that could potentially lead to the failure of major European banks and a total shutdown of credit. It wouldn't shock me that European banks are trading as if they are in big trouble. Six, the trading floors were all alive uh, with talk today uh, that this decline reflects a belief that Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren might win the election. Both senators make no secret of the fact that they want to crack down on capital. So we better get used to the fear that they instill among wealthy people who own lots of stocks. That could explain why the dividend stocks keep getting hit, right? Because even though the bond market competition is upside down, well, think about it. Makes sense. If investors expect the tax cycle on capital gains and dividend income, they'd be dumping them. That could happen. It's not going to happen unless the Democrats nominate one of the more left-wing candidates and then sweep the Senate next year, but maybe some managers are trying to price in that possibility. If so, we've got plenty more to fall. The seventh and final explanation, several large institutions might be shorting bonds, betting against them, and as bond prices keep rising, they're getting squeezed and could be about to go bust. Now, it may sound far-fetched, but we saw something similar in 1998 with the failure of long-term capital management. 
a hedge fund run by allegedly smart people who took some incredibly stupid risks that ended up doing tremendous damage to the market. Go read Confessions of a Street Addict if you want to know. So which is it? Well, for the moment, it doesn't matter, does it? Whatever the cause, we cannot ignore the bond market's behavior. It's too extreme. Of course, many of these negatives are reversal. Almost all of them are man-made and therefore can be reversed. They can be unmade. Right now, though, our stock market is handcuffed to the bond market. As long as that's the case, the momentum is with the bears, not the bulls. Even if the bears ultimately turn out to be wrong. Ultimately, it's a long time from now. In stocks and bonds, momentum matters. And while it can be irrational, it, it is wrong to ignore it. This market is now largely ruled by fear. I don't like being scared into anything when it comes to my money or yours. And remember, panic is not a strategy. Eventually, I believe the Cassandras will be proven wrong. I still think the economy has some strength to it, or uh, at least uh, strength enough to avoid a recession. But in the interim, I accept that being calm and patient has gone out of style. I want to be opportunistic and say the bond market's just plain wrong and there's plenty left to buy. The truth is, though, we've been selling for my charitable trust, which you can follow along at ActionLordsPlus.com. We just raised cash. The bottom line, I don't blame anyone or anyone for raising some cash here. My trust did. But it would be a big mistake to sell everything. You don't panic when the economy's hanging on. You wait for more of a decline. Remember, the S&P is still up 13%. The Nasdaq is up 17%. And once it comes down, then you can do some opportunistic buying. Let's go to Larry in New Jersey. Larry. Hey, Jim. How are you? Thanks for taking my call. Oh, thank you for calling, Larry. What's up? I'm, I'm holding Prudential right now, ticker PRU. Right. That got hammered today. <laughs> uh, yeah, they did. Historically, they've been a pretty strong stock with a good yield, and they've got a compelling value proposition to make financial wellness widely available. Um, they've got a unique business mix to execute on that as well. But still, they've been trading at or below book value for a while. Management's been pretty opaque about the investments they're making to become more efficient, and recently the stock dipped almost 20%. Um, they had a bad earnings recently, partly due to updated assumptions in their individual life business, which right. they struggled to improve the return on in recent years. So I'm wondering if this recent sell-off presents a buying opportunity or if you would recommend holding and uh, seeing where things land. Uh, I don't like the way this stock acts. I just don't like it. Um, we, I, I'd like to have them on. I mean, they, there is something very wrong with where the book value is versus where the stock is versus the high yield. And I have to tell you, I think Pru is a fabulous company, but I got to throw the red flag. I don't know enough. We got to learn more because that yield is too high and that book value is too high. Let's go to Bud in Ohio, please. Bud. Booyah, Ski Daddy. Yo, Bud, what's up? Hey, thank you again for talking sense when the markets turn goofy and everybody's peddling fear. Thank you. One of the things I've been trying to do is I'm trying to incorporate your lessons about discipline. And okay. one mistake I've made in the past, I'll admit, is uh, buying all at once. So now I've raised some cash and I'm looking at buying with wide scales on the way down, just like you teach. Good. But your recent show on flash crashes got me thinking. Let's say I want to buy some more XYZ stock down 8% from my initial basis. As I watch it trade and I do my homework, why not have a standing good till canceled limit buy order at down 25 or 30% just in case there's another half hour flash crash that I miss because I'm at the supermarket? Look, uh, down, down that much might be interesting because there you are not going to get it down 50 after down 25. That's my worry. I think that that's OK. I traditionally like people to always focus on their orders themselves and don't do anything 
Don't do anything like that. But if you're going to put a standing order all the way down, that's intriguing to me. As long as it's not 8 to 10 to 12 to 14, it's down 25. But remember, here's the issue. There have been the flash crashes that have even for some stocks down 30 or 40. So I would use an even wider place to do it. I may not get hit, but that way I won't be worried. Let's go to Jacob in New York. Jacob. Hey, Jim. I got into Dropbox at 19... uh, 40. Thought that was a deal. Apparently it was not. Should I hold or get out? What are your thoughts? <sighs> Mr. Halston's done a great job, but holy cow, there's a lot of competition coming in at them now. Uh, and that's the kind of stock that's not working. And it won't work tomorrow when Cisco says that they see a slowdown. Remember, Cisco really put the knife to a lot of the expectations of technology tonight. So there's going to have to be a readjustment. And I will find, I think many people will find it surprising. Momentum right now, people, is with the bears, not because of the, not with the bulls. And it's because of this bizarre bond market. And I think with a good economy, the bears could end up being long, but I can't be certain right now after what happened with the bonds. Well, my buddy, tonight, it was a disaster on 34th Street today. I'm focusing on the border implications of Macy's, Macy's massive earnings miss. Then, after today's knockdown drag-out session, I know you've got questions. I'm opening up the phone lines to hear from you, Kramerica. Remember, we can be constructive, but we can't be Pollyannas. After a painful day for the averages, there are some silver linings. We're going to point out a buying opportunity or two, but let's not get overconfident and stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. listen to the Macy's conference call this morning, you think we're definitely headed into a recession. Yeah, it was that grim. The house of pain. The culprit? Well, Macy's had too much inventory, the wrong inventory. They also saw a lack of foreign buyers. Makes sense. With the strong dollar, it's very expensive for foreign tourists to come to the United States. That big Herald Square store, they used to come there, right? That's what tourists come to see. And they're definitely not going to come here on a shopping trip right now, not with that dollar going higher. The Blue Mercury Beauty and Wellness business is excellent. Digital business, very strong. But it wasn't enough to save Macy's from a severe disappointment. With the company earning 28 cents a share, Wall Street was looking for 45 cents. Wowza. That's so bad, I almost thought it was a misprint. To make matters worse, Macy's is also right in the crosshairs of these latest tariffs on Chinese merchandise. Again, if you were on the call, management's concerned about what higher tariffs might mean for the consumer. I think it's a legitimate worry at this point. For everyone who's been fixated on the bond market, assuming that an inverted yield curve means we're headed for a nasty uh, slowdown, Macy's is concrete evidence that at least one part of the economy is in pretty rough shape. Just look at the stock right now. 
It's sporting a nearly 9% yield because investors, well, they don't believe that the company can afford to keep that dividend at these levels. Even though the company's balance sheet is the best that it's been in years, and management didn't even shade down their forecast by very much. The truth is, older investors are thinking back to 1992 when a debt-laden, over-acquisitive Macy's filed for bankruptcy. Personally, I think that's highly unlikely. But we all know that retail is a tough business, and there are lots of companies that can't make it. We do know that Macy's has structural problems, just like every other mall-based department store chain, especially the ones that miss the mark in terms of fashion or that rely on spending from tourists. So I can't blame anyone for looking at this quarter and concluding the bond market is correctly forecasting the end of the expansion, followed by the beginning of a recession, especially if the now-delayed tariffs get slapped on all those Chinese exports uh, come December. But at the risk of sounding a little Pollyannish, I don't think Macy's is all that representative of retail in general. When you're trying to judge a whole industry, you should never take your cue from a troubled company. And right now, all the department stores are indeed troubled. That's why I'm betting the consumer might be okay. People aren't shopping less. They're simply shopping at different places. As big as Macy's may be, it's puny compared to WATCH, my acronym for Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, and Home Depot, all of which I think are doing pretty well, certainly better than Macy's. These five companies have the scale to strong-arm their suppliers into absorbing the cost of the tariffs, or they could slightly raise prices to pass them on to the consumer. Given that the prices are already so low, I I don't even know whether people would notice. If the consumer is really hurting, she's going to shop at a revamped Dollar Tree or ubiquitous Dollar General. These are trade-down plays that tend to benefit from a slowing economy. Rather than buying clothes directly from Macy's, the consumer waits for them to offload their excess inventory to TJX or Burlington stores at a huge discount and then picks up the same stuff for a fraction of the price. So, yeah, the Macy's conference call was brutal. But I think that's less about the state of the consumer and more about the state of the mall-based department store. In this day and age, you have to have a major online presence or you need to offer incredible bargains like the dollar stores or the off-price change. Everyone else, let's just say their stocks are very hard to own. Let's go to Nick in Arizona, please. Nick. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. You're quite welcome. Uh, Yeah, so with the retail uh, sector being beaten down as much as it has been, I was wondering what your opinion for Nordstrom is as a... uh, a value stock and also a dividend stock. Um, uh, you know what? They're not working. The uh, value stock and dividend stocks are simply not working. Uh, for instance, my Chapel Trust owns a position in Kohl's. We sold some the other day. We were tempted to buy it back today. We said, no, no. Uh, Kohl's, Nordstrom, and Macy's are all regarded as one big bad stock, even though they have good managers, and I am not going to put you in that house of pain. It's just too hard. How about Tim in Florida? Tim. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thanks. Uh, I bought Stitch Fix uh, mid-July at about 29.60. Now, a month later, it's lost about a third of its price. Right. It, it, yeah, it appeared to be on the upswing. The financials, while not great, seemed to be okay at the time. It's an interesting business model. Now it's at 21. What are your thoughts? Well, I think that this is uh, like a lot of like real, real, like Revolve. I mean, what happens is this whole cohort is getting hurt. And the reason why it's getting hurt is people feel that all these IPOs were too hot and they've come back down. I think Stitch Fix is a very good company. Uh, Is it a $2 billion market cap company that should stay there? I think that has to grow in that market cap. When I met management, I think they're very, very smart. I want you to to hold on uh, and maybe buy some a little bit lower. This is a brutal market right now, and I don't want you to panic. Retail's become very hard. Not everyone can make it. Macy's tells a brutal story. In this age, you have to be online or off price. Macy's is caught in between. Much more mad money ahead. The story Macy's is telling might not be a good one, but I'm pointing to retail players 
that could be worth considering following their massive declines. Plus, my sell-off strategy session. I'm opening up the phone lines to hear from you, Kramerica. Let me help you navigate the market's unknowns. And Tilray's drop today doesn't necessarily instill confidence in the cannabis space, does it? But one company in the group has been quietly beating expectations and rallying off its lows, and it's not the big dog. I'll reveal the name when I sit down with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Today's action was difficult to understand, to say the least, both the bond market and stocks. On the one hand, we have the bond market signaling a recession. On the other hand, we have a robust job growth number. Maybe there's other signs of weakness out there. Although I don't believe we're headed into a recession anytime soon, we can't ignore these dramatic declines, nor can we just uh, ignore things like Cisco's forecast just this evening. It's hard to stay calm when you see stocks flashing red. I don't blame you. But you have to remember that panic is not a strategy. The market is ruled by fear right now, and some of it could be justified. But as always, let's get it conquered, okay? I'm opening up the phone lines to help you, the home gamers of Kramerica, strategize during this wild ride. And we're going to start with Tomas in Arizona. Tomas. Hey, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. How are you? I am good. How about you? Uh, Trying to stay out of the blazing Arizona heat. All right. So I'm 21 years old, just graduated with my master's degree earlier this week. Congratulations. Uh, my, my question is for a stock that was recently trading higher than my student budget, but it has taken a dive the last couple of weeks as of the rest of the semis. But I've been watching it closely. The stock is Xilinx, and I want to know if it's ready to buy or we should wait for May lows. Uh, I think you may have to wait. And I say that because, both, because of Cisco's forecast tonight, but also because, look, they have a lot of business in China. And the president yesterday extended what some think is an olive branch, and the Chinese didn't do anything today. So I think uh, caution is warranted with Xilinx, particularly because they did not have a great last quarter. Thank you, though. Let's go to Mark in Nevada, please. Mark. Oh, hi, Jim. How are you doing today? I am good. How are you? Oh, hanging in there. I've had some bad experiences buying dividend stocks where the company goes, cuts the dividend, then the share price plummets. And so are there any, in light of the ridiculously low interest rates right now, Right. are there any stocks right now that offer the three following three qualities? That's a stable dividend with a low payout ratio. Strong balance sheet. But the big thing is a stock that offers some stable price. And that's been the big problem is the volatility in some of these stock prices. And are there any is there any stocks out there that offer all three? Well, uh, one that just uh, reported and is doing a lot of things right is CVS, which is the drugstore chain. A lot of people feel like that, that they were concerned, but the cash flow is really good. The numbers were the very good, best in seven years, the front of the store, and it yields more than 3%. Uh, the second one, I would tell you, is Coca-Cola. It's come back down. At one point, it was actually up today, down 50 cents. It's got another 3% yield. It's growing, and I think both of those would fit the bill. Uh, so let's look at those great long-term situations. Let's go to Phil in New Jersey, please. Phil. Hey, Jim. How are you, my friend? I am good, Phil. How are you? Good. At least we got the Eagles to look forward to because the stock market just ain't doing it for me. It's yeah, not I, look, I know the feeling. I mean, I'm doing fantasy. I'm doing watching the Eagles. But I can't take my eye off of what happened because a lot of people are getting hurt here, and I'm not uh, going to focus on anything else until I figure out this stuff for you. What's going on? So I'm 42 years old. I have a, a diversified portfolio. I have like an S&P index fund. And then 
the rest of my stuff have stocks just a broad diversification them and then i was looking to add like a black rock to my portfolio since you know the risk of recession coming i'm gonna look for something that has a good yield good track record and good management and just wondering even though it's, it's considered like a financial and maybe um borderline with being in like an investment company is this a good stock to, to buy, or is it too volatile? It's no, give me- no, no. I mean, sometimes you have to just think of these stocks. You have to divide them by 10, act like it's a $41 stock. That's run by Larry Fink. He's probably the, one of the most able CEOs in the country. I think the business is good. You're right. It yields 3%. I have no problem with putting on a quarter position right now and then let the volatility make you money. Meaning when we have these swings, you're down there buying a little. Business is good. Is it perfect? No. But but Larry Fink will figure out how to make it uh, as good as possible. I like your selection. And let's go to Jim in New York now. Jim. Yeah. Hello, Jim. Jim from New York. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, uh, I'm pretty good today. I I learned my lesson about not panicking, and I've learned a lot from you over the Thank years. Thank you. And, Thank uh, you. I learned a big lesson back in December. I, I pretty much, uh, you know, sold out and then bought back in, uh, you know, in sure. early January, but okay. not quick enough. And uh, and since then, I've been slowly building my positions. And my question to you is: I need some guidance. I'm pretty much fully invested. I'm diversified, but you know, have a. Probably 60% of my portfolio is in tech. Okay. And, uh, you know, there's a lot in the red here. So it's not like I can sell and, you know, uh, take some profits. You right. know, there's a couple of little green things going on. But I just don't know where to go from here, whether or not I should just stay pat. Well, I do think the, the sell-off got a little overdone today. Uh, because of Cisco's guidance, which is a big cap stock, we're going to get a little bit more choppiness tomorrow, I believe. But uh, I think you can't sell into this maelstrom. I think you have to wait for a little bit of bounce. I think you do need to lighten up a little. You know, for uh, the ActionAlertsPlus.com club, I told people, listen, you got to take your cash up. And uh, now that the cash is up, we have the freedom of being able to choose. You need to have that freedom in your head. Right now, you're stuck, and I can hear it in your voice. You do some selling into a little bit of strength, and you'll make it so you can view this as an opportunity, not a nightmare. Thank you so much for the calls. Right now, this market is ruled entirely by fear. Again, there are things that are wrong, but not everything. I agree with some of it. I don't agree with others. Listen, CNBC has every angle of this sell-off covered. There is a special tonight right after the show at 7 p.m., so do not miss it. Much more mad money ahead. Maybe a horrifying tape, but I'm eyeing two stocks that could be worth considering following their declines. Then after today's sell-off, feel like you need to mellow out? Well, I got a stock that could help you. And don't let today's drop scare you. I'm taking all your questions rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. When the market's getting steamrolled like it is today, I try to pull little Johnny Mercer, accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. But what the heck is positive about a horrific day like today? I don't want to sugarcoat things. This is a real ugly tape. You know what this is? Frankly, we have an address for it. The House of Pain. However, there are some things you need to remember. Things like the fact that some stocks get cheaper as they go down. Uh, why does that matter? Because there are some genuine buying opportunities here as long as you're willing to be patient and pick up these stocks gradually on the way down. Notice I did not say buy them right here. No statement buys. Just let them drift down. For example... 
This year, we've had a deluge of IPOs, some good, some bad, some terrible. And for months now, we've been feeling left out of the good ones. Every time a company with a great story would come public, I tell you, it was worth buying. But you know what? It's wide, only at price. Don't do it yet. Just wait, wait, wait. Then time and again, these newly minted stocks would shoot up to ridiculously expensive levels where I felt uncomfortable recommending them. Somehow, people on my Twitter feed are claiming that I'm the biggest cheerleader of IPOs. I, uh, oh, by the way, go tell that to the bankers who are pushing WeWork when I said it would be a disaster in the making, depending upon where they did price it. Uh, I actually did a piece, by the way, last week on this show talking about how I may have been too cautious in not recommending these IPOs, but I didn't want to hurt anybody. I'm standing by that. Whoa, wow. Guess what? You're finally getting the price break we've been waiting for many of these new issues. Here's one that I really like that just has been hammered. It's called Revolve Group, okay? I mean, this is, whoa, nasty. So web-based fashion retailer has been taking major market share from the big department stores. Not only after Revolve came public in early June, I told you it was a terrific story, but I said, no. No, you can't buy it. Stock had run up so dramatically right out of the gate, falling from 18 up to 34 on his first day of trading, that you never really had a decent buying opportunity. I was not going to let you chase. Remember, we don't chase on the show. So I told you to put in your shopping list, keep your eyes peeled for a pullback. Thanks to this panic-driven market, Revolve's now experienced some massive declines. Stock lost 22% of its value just last week in the wake of what was widely viewed as a disappointing quarter. Then today it plummeted another 14%. A month ago, the stock was at 38 bucks. Now it's at 22 22 and change. This is the lowest level since this IPO. Look at this. See, we said, uh, 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 well, here I am saying, huh, okay. And that's not because it's just stock stop at zero because that's really about 20. So, uh, look, look, this is about more than one company. I mean, I, I talk about a lot of different companies with so the same pattern. We've seen the same thing, for instance, in other new fashions like Real Real. That's that online consignment shop. I think this could be turned out to be, this could be the opportunity. I'm not going to run from it. I'm going to embrace it. So let me explain why. Because I know it's hard to even consider buying something that's crashing to earth like these things, especially in retail world places. I mean, Macy's just reported a woeful quarter. It cut its forecast, sending the stock tumbling 13% today. I mean, it has 9% yield. Nobody cares. How should we go about something like this? Well, you know what? I go bullish on Revolve or the real real if Macy's is getting obliterated. Let me tell you why. These companies are part of the reason why Macy's is getting obliterated. They're disrupting. We like disruptors, right? They're disrupting what's left of the department stores, and it is working. So why don't we start with Revolve Group? The bull thesis here is pretty straightforward. Revolve runs three online stores, the high-end Revolve, the super high-end Forward, and the cheaper Superdown. The company's premised on the idea that brick-and-mortar apparel chains were either too broad, like department stores, like Macy's, or too narrow, like specialty stores, both are being hurt if they're in the mall. Revolve figured they could use the Internet to create something in between. Then they built their own technology platform to automate inventory management, pricing, and even trend forecasting so they can predict what you'll want before you even know what you want. The company's trying to turn the fashion business into a science. They'll launch a thousand new styles each week as a kind of experiment. Then they double down on whatever selling business. Isn't this what you want? These the old lumbering dinosaur department stores can't do this. This business model allows Revolve to operate with extremely lean inventory. You know, inventory is the bane of a retailer's existence. When traditional retailers have too much merchandise, they need to mark it down, giving you deep discounts and really hurting their profitability. But for Revolve, 79% of its sales are made at full price. Can you imagine? 
They have a host of popular private label brands, too, and we know private label carries much higher margins than selling product made by other companies. Plus, the company's great at digital marketing. I know no one is even listening. All they're feeling right now is 10-year, 2-year, 10-year, 2-year, 30-year, 30-year, like their hair's on fire. If I had any, mine would be. Check my Instagram. Put it all together, and you had the makings of a fantastic growth story, which is why the stock vaulted into the stratosphere right after it came public. In recent weeks, though, investors have started worrying about the new tariffs, as Revolve sources perhaps as much as 40% of its merchandise from China. Ouch! But I think they can pass the tariffs on to the customers. And more importantly, any Chinese trouble, I believe, at this level is at last baked in. A lot of people don't feel you can ever bake in China troubles. I think some of these have. Then last Thursday, the company reported a quarter that was widely panned. The stock was annihilated. I think that's a mistake. Look at the actual numbers here. Revolve posted a tiny one-cent earnings miss off of a 19-cent basis. Their sales came in higher than expected. You know we care about revenues, up nearly 23% year-over-year. Nice growth. A slight uptick from the previous quarter. We want that. The company had 1.3 million active customers, up 36%. I mean, to me, it sounds like Pinterest. That was a zoom-up. How about the full-year guidance? While management's EBITDA forecast, that's earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, came in higher than anticipated, and the midpoint of their sales forecast was about $2 million shy of the $605 million number Wall Street was looking for. Still, they're talking about 20 to 22% growth. I'll take that. No one that was up all the way here, no, but down here, yeah. In response, the stock plummeted 15% Friday. I know the quarter wasn't perfect, but that's a pretty extreme reaction. Revolve missed the earnings by a penny. Their sales guidance was a teensy, tiny bit conservative. And the stock gets pulverized? How does that make sense? Some of it's because this was their first quarter as a publicly traded company, a little rookie-ish, you know, a little fresh. And when you mess that up even a little bit, you're going to be punished. I get that. Mainly, though, I think Revolve sold off because the investor base was expecting too much. That's why I told you not to buy this thing when it was trading in the 30s. Bad holders. Your enemy, fellow shareholders. So when Revolve didn't totally shoot the lights out and then gave you spectacularly spectacularly uh, optimistic forecasts, these weak-handed shareholders dumped the stock. They had to give a big guide up, and they had to have a big beat. And they didn't give it. In my view, management's being reasonable. They're responsibly using their cash to build out their their lower-end site, super down, along with a bunch of private label brands. These guys don't want to overpromise. That's a good thing. And there was plenty to like about this quarter if you cared enough to do the homework. Revolve's revenues accelerated. Their gross margins increased. Imagine any of these other retailers having that happen. Their total orders grew by more than 30%. The platform's still in great shape. That's why so many analysts have reiterated their buy ratings. Some of them even raised their price targets. But in this brutal market, none of that seems to matter, which is why you're being given the chance to buy Revolve at such a huge discount. We wanted a pullback. Now we've got one. At these levels, Revolve is selling for about 29 times next year's earnings estimates, roughly 21 times the earnings estimates for 2021. 20 times earnings for a company with 20% growth? Okay, that's not bad. We've seen a similar weakness in the stock called Real Real. I don't like that name. It sounds stupid, but you know what? WeWork sounds good, and I think that's a bad investment. Real Real is the online consignment shop where they'll, sell, they'll help you sell your used luxury accessories and apparel. Now, this one, this stock plummeted 23% on Friday. No apparent reason I can find. Then last night, the company reported a seemingly great quarter. Fabulous numbers across the board. What happens? After opening up 10%, I thought that was interesting and perhaps correct, Real Real got dragged down by the market, giving up all of its gains, ultimately closing down 16%. I'm sorry, that kind of reaction borders on the panic. I don't think that represents rational thinking. Again, I think you can start building a position right here and then buy more if it keeps failing, so leave some room. I mean, we have to understand, 
These stocks cannot, they could be falling knives. Where's my falling knife? Here, we'll use this one. It could be like, no, I like that one. I don't want to do that. Where's, what happened to my Bowie knife? Okay, this is a depiction of every single stock that people are thinking, including these, okay? And I have to tell you, you can't catch this. Watch, you can't catch it. See, that would hurt, right? So what you do is you catch a little of it. But, well, I mean, it makes it so it's not a knife if you catch a little of it. Here's the bottom line. This is a horror... This is a horrifying tip, but stocks really do get cheaper as they go lower. We can't throw out some of these guidance, some dictates and live by the dictums. We told you to wait. We waited. And now we're greenlighting Revolve Group in the real real because their stocks have come down dramatically, even though the actual companies are in very good shape. The long awaited buying opportunities arrived. Don't be afraid to take advantage of it. Just remember, the market's so horrendous that you need to start small and stage your buys gradually on the way down because there's no telling whether these two beaten down stocks will bottom anytime soon. Stay with Kramer. It is time. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready? Ski, daddy, time for the lighting round. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's go with Tommy in Louisiana. Tommy. Hello, Jim. This is Tommy from Shreveport, Louisiana. My stock is Owens, Illinois. They had a really rough second quarter. And I'd like to know your thoughts going forward with this glass container company. Uh, I have to tell you, I'm not encouraged by that situation. They have spent a lot of time in the wilderness, and it certainly doesn't seem to have taught them anything. We're going to say take a pass on OI. Let's go to Jim in Virginia, in the Virgin Islands. Jim. Hey, how we doing? I am good. How are you? All right, all right. Hey, let's just start the quiz. I, with the markets being up yesterday and down today, I have a two-part question. I've been investing in several semiconductor companies for the past year and a half. Now, and mainly because I believe in the growing development of AI in the future. My largest holding is in ST Microelectronics. Uh, I'm certainly not at the mindset of a day trader, but more focused on my retirement account. It's a good company. Uh, I expect it to go down tomorrow off of what Cisco had to say. It's a good company. At 15, 16, it'll be better than 17. What can I say? We expect these kinds of stocks to have a little more weakness. Let's go to Marjorie in Georgia. Marjorie. Hi, Jim. Hey, Marjorie. Hey, man, I love your show. Thank you. Hey, this Georgia Bulldog wants to know what you think about DCP Midstream. Um, I don't like the midstreams. I think that uh, the whole Master Limited Partnership Group, I have been very much against. They just aren't working. They have no growth, and I don't. So I'm going to say it. Trust them. John in Michigan. John. I love the show, Jim. Just wanted to know what your thoughts were on... uh, Solar Edge. Well, that stock has already kind of left the that, that one has left the barn. I mean, it, it's way too high versus the rest of the market and port, uh, by its cohort. So we're going to take a pass on that. Joe in Florida. Joe. We're Kramer, a rough day on the street today. Oh, yeah. Very rough day. All right. Let's talk about Amarant for a minute here. It's been through a lot in the last month. It was at 22. Then they went secondary, went raised $400 million at 18. Then the FDA threw a curveball at him and announced a panel review on Vesepa. And today, Learing upgraded it to outperform. <laughs> More than a few stocks that actually went yeah, up today. Yeah, I think it's okay. It's not my fame here. I think we got to go a little more conservative. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round. 
is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Even on a devastating day, remember this was the worst day for the Dow this year, there can be some positive themes. If you're willing to look hard enough, though, take the cannabis cohort. The group has been a house of pain for months, ever since Wall Street started to care about the actual results and not just the grand plans that could go nowhere. But in a rough month for the averages, many of the marijuana stocks have been bouncing, in part because they reported better than expected numbers, which brings me to Village Farms International. That's a small and speculative uh, Canadian cannabis grower. This is an interesting company because originally it was a produce play. Yeah, that's right. Greenhouse grower of tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers. Then Canada legalized weed and they started growing that too, as well as adding outdoor hemp production for the CBD space. Yesterday morning, Village Farms reported a big top and bottom line beat, 27% sales growth when you include the results from their joint ventures, which you must do. The company even had a surprise profit. For cannabis, they own 50% of Pure Sun Farms, which saw its sales grow by 125% versus the previous quarter. The stock only rallied 2% on the news because it already run up substantially into the print, and today it gave up most of that. So could the better-run marijuana stocks be a good place to go in a brutal tape? Let's dig deeper with Mike DiGiulio. He is the CEO of Village Farms International. To learn more about his company and where it's headed, Mr. DiGiulio, welcome to Mad Money. Hello. Pleasure to be here, Jim. Thank you, sir. Uh, this, is, this is your first time on the show. Could you walk our viewers through uh, what you guys do and how you pivoted from being a, a company that was really a greenhouse for vegetables into something much bigger and I think more lucrative? Sure. Well, Village Farms, I mean, we have three decades of uh, large-scale precision agriculture. We have uh, almost 10 million square feet of production and greenhouses between the U.S. and Canada and tremendous know-how, decades of experience growing these high-value crops. So for us, the switch to cannabis was just really another agricultural crop. And in, in, in that regard, we saw the uh, transformation of our assets to a much more valuable crop from produce. So, you know, we've been uh, very happy in the produce business. We're shifting that platform south of the U.S. border due to NAFTA. And this the, the cannabis products, the cannabis in Canada as well as CBD in the U.S. just gives us a great opportunity to deliver unmatched results. And now, that's where we're headed. I looked at your growth, which is extraordinary, but also you have a very well-aligned management team. You own a great deal. I think a lot of people want in these mar- in the uh, in the cannabis space, they're not used to seeing that. A lot of, of, the, of the CEOs have almost no stock. You're pretty entrenched here, right? Sure. I have about 20% ownership in a company. I'm the founder 30 years ago. And uh, I really believe in the future. So uh, I'm aligned with our shareholders. And I think it brings a different element because I'm at risk. And, you know, dilution, you know, dilution is only dilution if the share price doesn't go up. But we take it very seriously. We want to be 80% correct that uh, decisions we make will pay out. And in that regard, I think I am different, but uh, it's really about our team. We're very team-oriented. We're village farms. Uh, Most of our people have been with us 20, 25 years, if not 30. And more importantly, the young team that we've put together in Pure Sun Farms that have taken our strategy and now bringing it to a CPG platform in Canada, I think is very exciting. I think as we launch our brand, on top of the fact that we're probably one of the top performing companies in the space, at least from profitability, both sides of the border, highest EBITDA, highest margin, 
low-cost producer, and I can tell you in my 30 years there's nothing more prudent than being a low-cost producer in agriculture because every commodity, you know, every agriculture commodity mm-hmm. will eventually commoditize out. So will this. Right. Now, one last question. I know that uh, you low-cost producer, which is terrific, but you do have extensive relationships from your vegetable business with companies like Walmart, with Whole Foods, with Trader Joe's, with Kroger. Would they be willing to uh, take your vegetable, say, uh, your uh, cannabis, and you sell it to them white label, and they make CBD products out of their, of their own? That's absolutely on our radar screen because, you know, it's taken a lot over 30 years to have these relationships. And uh, these are great companies and, you know, just get in the door easily. So if we can leverage that up, even though they're different departments, at least we're coming in with a reputation of uh, selling most retailers in the U.S. and Canada over 30 years. And we look forward to doing that as well as developing or purchasing our own brands as we move forward. So... Yeah, that's all on the table. All right, terrific. Congratulations, a good quarter. Sorry you had to report during such a, a rough time for the market. Too bad. Thank you. Okay, that's right, Michael DeGilio, Village Farms International CEO. Speculative, but low-cost producer of a commodity, which is what this is. So it's kind of an interesting stock. Stick with Kramer. Stick around right after this for our CNBC special featuring some extra calls by yours truly. Don't miss it. 7 p.m. The Cisco News was disconcerting. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise to find it just for you right here on Mad Bunny. I'm Jim Cramer. I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.